Welcome to Downstage Center, a production of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Our special guest today, Tanya Pinkins, currently starring on Broadway in Caroline or Change. At the risk of embarrassing you, Tanya, let me go through a few vital statistics first. You are a 2004 Tony nominee for Best Actress in a Musical for Caroline or Change, a 1992 Tony winner as Best Featured Actress in a Musical as Sweet Anita in Jelly's Last Jam, and for that show you also received the Drama Desk, Outer Critics Circle, and Clarence Derwent Awards. You starred in Play On and The Wild Party. You play Livia Fry Cudahy in ABC's All My Children. You were also on As the World Turns. You had numerous television, stage, motion picture, and concert appearances. This fall, you'll be in a new motion picture, John Turturro's film Romance and Cigarettes, starring James Gandolfini, Susan Sarandon, Kate Winslet, Mandy Moore, and others, and yourself as well. On a personal note, you're a native of Chicago, born to hardworking civil service parents, a mother of four children, and a devoted single mother of four children. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show. Okay. Howard is just bursting with the first question. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. With Carolina Change, we understand that when the show was being written, Tony Kushner and Janine Tesori and George Wolfe all had your voice in mind to do this part. But you didn't know that right away. No, I didn't. So when did you actually come into the process of the creation of the show? I was invited to do a reading of it, um, and I think it was 2000. If the Wild Party's 2000, it was in 2000. And uh, I did my first reading of it, and I think that was the first reading Janine Tesori heard. And so we started together. And at any point, did you have the opportunity to discuss either why they wanted you, or did you begin to have input in, in the shape of the character? Not at all. Um, the reading occurred, and then... Janine and I went off and did Thoroughly Modern Millie together, and about nine months later we came together and did a workshop of the first act. But she had you in mind, I guess? Well, it's interesting because we had done Millie, Uh and uh, one credit, because this is American Theatre Wing, it's important that this credit be mentioned, that uh, I was Tony-nominated in 97 for Play On as well. Uh And she had listened to what I did on uh, Jelly's Last Jam in terms of figuring out my voice for... Thoroughly Modern Millie. And I tend to do very different vocal things depending on the character. So when we were going into Caroline, I really didn't know what she was going to, you know, what what vo- what voice, what parts of my voice she was going to use. And so this time she decided to use it all. Well, I, 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 it should probably be noted for our listeners who have not seen the show that there's very little spoken dialogue. I'd say roughly 98, 99% of the dialogue is sung. That's right, recitative. Yes. So she had to obviously have your voice in mind when she was writing that music? I think she had all of the actors' uh-huh. voices in mind. She wrote to these actors. Well, we should ask you to just tell us in brief for the listeners uh, the story of the show and who you play. Well, I play Caroline Thibodeau. She's a maid uh, working for a Jewish family in Lake Charles, Louisiana. There was a very small Jewish population there. And the show is really about change and it was a time 1963 when the America was changing it was the birth of television the birth of civil rights the death of John F Kennedy and how all those changes in the world are mirrored in the lives of these two families and the show is actually set it begins slightly before the Kennedy assassination continues Hours through that before terrible the weekend and into early December, I guess. Yes. And now I'm curious because it does set up the uh, the scenario of the 
African-American characters and the Jewish family. And in a profile in the New York Times, there was a comment that when you were growing up, you, you hung out some more with the Jewish kids. Yes, I did. And just wondering about that and then the relationships with, within the show which, in which you really are working very hard to stay separate from mm. the family. Well, I happen to have grown up in an area of Chicago called Pill Hill, right outside of Pill Hill, which is actually Jeffrey Manor, which was a largely Jewish area. So when I moved in, that neighborhood was probably 90% Jewish. And so as I always say, my first foreign language was Hebrew. And uh, <laughs> and so I, for black kids, because I was my mother made sure I studied etiquette from the time I was very young and I learned to articulate, I was a little outcast because I spoke too proper, I talked too white. And so I was just more at home with the with the Jewish children. And in fact, you appeared in a school production of Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> yes, and I played Golda. <laughs> now, unfortunately, <laughs> there's no recording out there. <laughs> but but it is it is fascinating that that the relationships that you had growing up are very echoed very differently mm-hmm. within the same communities in yes. in what Tony's explored, having grown up Jewish in a very small Jewish community in Louisiana himself. Yes. When you when you came to the role of Caroline, how much of it did you draw from your personal experience and how much did you draw based on the script? In other words, how do you interpret a character who's very complex and very serious like Caroline? I have to say that the first reading of the script, I went, what is this? <laughs> this has never been done in the theater before. And I knew I was working with, to me, you know, three of the greatest geniuses in American theater, George C. Wolfe, Janine Tesori, and Tony Kushner. And I'm always excited to just get in the room with great people. So I came to it completely available to find out what they were going to do. And um, the material itself is so extraordinary that there wasn't a lot of work I had to do. I found that as complex as people think the music is, I learned it rather effortlessly. Um, There's something about it that just, there was a perfect fit. But there was a situation in this show, particularly with one of your, I, I hate to call them songs because they're not broken out as cleanly in the show as, but you, exactly, you do have an aria very late in Act Two called Lot's Wife, and that went through a few changes? That went through many changes. It began in our first workshop, it was very poetic, very biblical, um, sort of a sweeping, grand song that was very beautiful, but we all felt didn't capture the character and didn't capture that moment for the character. The next time we came back to Lot's Wife, Tony was still holding on to some of the poetry. George still felt that this woman didn't have that vocabulary. And even though in musical theater you have heightened reality so people can be bigger than they are, he still wanted to be true to who this woman was. By the last workshop that we had last June, I guess that would have been 2003, we had a number that I adored. I would sing it all day long, Mm -hmm. every day. It was incredibly musical, but the language had been simplified, and ultimately that song was cut as well because they felt it was a little too beautiful and kind of ended the show, and they still wanted to tell more show. So then we came to this song, which perfectly captures what that moment should be for the character in terms of a pivotal point. The recording of that will be available, I guess, sometime in June. Yes, mid-June. After, after the Tonys themselves are announced. Exactly. It's a shame that you know, it's not available now. Yes. Well, we, we, can't, we can't play it for the listeners yet. Of course, what would be great is if, is if when it gets recorded, maybe they'll let you do one of the earlier versions as one of those bonus tracks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
but well, we did do some of that. The June Dramatists, we did excerpts. You know, they had trunk show, and we we did some parts that were cut from the show, which is always fun to do. What were what were some of the other changes? Because you did talk about the workshops, and then of course when the show transferred from the public up to uh, Broadway, what what kind of changes got made along the way? I think the biggest change in the transfer is that we were on a much smaller stage. You wouldn't think that an off-Broadway stage would be larger than a Broadway stage, but we actually lost eight feet of space. And so that significantly changed the lighting. I'm told the show fits much better in this space because the proscenium frames it better. The audience has a little bit of distance because it's it's very funny, but it's also very emotional. And down at the public, which I loved, people were in that basement with you. And so you'd look out at the end of the show and you could just see people visibly wrecked. (laughs) It's also a very intimate show in in, in many ways. It's an intimate look into somebody's life, somebody's story, not just your character, but all the characters are exposing themselves. And I think a smaller stage, it's not... Put it this way. This show is not Hello, Dolly. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's not My Fair Lady. It's a very intense, emotional, personal sort of a show. It's interesting to me that you say that because I was thinking last night that, to me, there are more laughs in this show than in most musical comedies. And the difference is they're not jokes. The laughter is coming from the fact that the audience knows these people. This is their lives. And you, you recognize your own self and your own family. So people tend to not think of that as funny because there are no jokes. It's all real life humor. And also the people on stage are real people. They're not a cartoon character. They're not a portrayal of, you know, some character that a playwright has dreamed up. These are real people with real emotions. Right. And they're not takes on something or send-ups of something. Mm-hmm. It's real life, and he's captured it beautifully. It, it, it's a very intense evening. When you leave the theater, at least I felt, my wife, we felt kind of drained emotionally having gotten so invested in the show. Mm-hmm. It, it, I think the show requires the participation of the audience member more than the average musical might. It absolutely does. If you're willing to go on that journey, it can be transformative. I was thinking also, you and the show are nominated as Best Musical, and you're up against some very diverse competition. I mean, Avenue Q is so different. Wicked is so different. The Boy from Oz, so different. It's amazing. The the breath on Broadway in general, if I were voting, which I'm not a member, I don't know how I would have to vote. It's so interesting. Well, what's lovely about that is it's going to make for a great Tony broadcast on June 6th because the range of material, and I think that's going to excite people to know that if they come to New York and have a week or a weekend, they have such a wonderful range of things to choose from. Now, I would assume that you will be performing. I hope so. Our show should be because it's a Tony-nominated musical. And and you personally should be because you are the the focus of the show. I hope so. Any idea what you'll be doing yet? (laughs) No idea. They haven't told us at Uh, all. I want to jump back to the issue of of the audience and the personal. Certainly, anyone of your stature, there's people at the stage door every night who want an autograph, want this. But given the reality of this show, do you hear from people who who relate it to elements in their life? and and who it's touching much more directly than just saying you were great? Absolutely. Um, this is probably the most profound and I would actually say holy experience I've ever had in the theater. Um, it's very clear that in doing Caroline, it's a healing that's going on. I always say that the show is downloaded from the divine. Um, it's an unlikely hit. Um, it wasn't necessarily a critical smash. It's audiences that sold it out for 14 weeks at the public because people come back four and five times. They want to bring people back. They want to go through the experience with someone else. They want to see how someone else goes through the experience. And what I find is people just want to hug me. Um, 
people just want to complete somehow because people tell me they saw their mother up there. Uh, people tell me they were from the South and their mother used to give them quarters on Sundays at the end of the evening. People say it gave them a reason to live. Um, th that's the kind of comments I get, and it's like, that's as good as it can get. Mm -hmm. Yet you're playing a character who in many ways has, has kind of walled herself off. And, and so are these people talking to you about about that or is it that are they projecting their own lives onto you and on what you play an interesting thing I found about the show is people people see the show they need to see um, when I'm looking on the monitor at the conductor I can see the audience and you know you've got 10 people in an audience and they're not all looking in the same place it's such a visually rich and beautiful show that people can see it four or five times and see a different show because every character has a whole life and you could just follow one character each time you watch the show so I find when I meet audience people afterwards sometimes people are telling me things that they saw in the show that I know weren't in the text but that's what they got out of the show and that's really powerful hmm. that's, that's really remarkable I in preparing for meeting you today, I, I did visit your website, okay. TanyaPinkins.com. <laughs> ah, Put a little yes. bit of plug there for TanyaPinkins.com. Yes. And I noticed in, in one section where um, fans, shall we say, send you emails, they are also laudatory about you as a person, not just as an actress, oh. but about a person. Many have met you, I presume, either after the show or in some other circumstance and has said, said the nicest things about you. Oh. It must be wonderful to have your own website to begin with and then to see nice things coming back. Yeah, D it's a you, really... Go ahead. But it is um, an interesting website because you get into some very interesting personal aspects of your life as well, which we'll get to a little bit later. But I would like to, um, if we can play a song of yours, not, not just a song, but from, I was thinking maybe Jelly's Last Jam, for which you won the Tony. Great. Can you tell us a little bit about Jelly's first, and then we'll talk about the song. Jelly was about Jelly Roll Morton, one of the greatest jazz uh, inventors of our century, and it was uh, interesting in that it was captured. He was a pianist, and it was captured by a tap dancer, the wonderful Gregory Hines, now deceased. And so this is a song that you're going to hear from Jelly and Anita's first meeting, where sparks flew, both good and bad, but it became a lifelong relationship. It's called Play the Music for Me. Yes. That, of course, Tanya Pinkins, Play the Music for Me, from Jelly's Last Jam. We are speaking with the Tony-nominated actress and Tony-winning actress as well. Tony winner for Jelly's, Tony-nominated for Caroline or Change, Tanya Pinkins at XM28 on Broadway. Talking about Jelly's Last Jam, it's interesting in light of Caroline that that was also a musical that was not a conventional musical and at the time was thought as very groundbreaking because... The hero, you know, you had to go back to a pal Joey to see, you know, somebody who was a hero but almost an anti-hero, very stylized. Um, what was what was the experience of doing jellies like it for you? Well, it's always great to work with George because one, he hires the best people, he gets the best actors, and you know, it's like fight for who's going to take stage, and and it's great because you know you have to step up, and he's just so creative and so brilliant, and he's always looking for the subversive choice. It's not ever going to be, you know, the easy choice. He's always looking for what's going to make the audience kind of wriggle a little bit. And so, you know, I've worked with him more than I've worked with anyone in my, my career. And I love it every time for those reasons. It's going to be a chance to grow and change. And was Jelly was the first time you worked with him? No, 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 no. no, no. What, do we, what do we go back to? 
I met George um, shortly after he got out of grad school. I was doing a soap opera called As the World Turns, and uh, I was doing a cabaret act at Sweetwater. It used to be on Amsterdam. And my music director, Keisha, uh, said, you should meet this guy who I went to college with. And I read excerpts of his colored museum and thought, this guy is a genius. So he wrote my first nightclub act for Sweetwater's. Wow. Yeah, that was uh, like 20 years ago. And so what was that? I mean, that's interesting to hear that George Wolfe was writing a cabaret act. What what kind of material? How did he shape that? How did you shape that with him? It was my life. I sent. I told him about things in my life, and he uh, made it funny. And uh, you know, he's an amazing writer, which is, I think, why his shows tend to be so great because he knows how to talk to writers. He knows how to talk to designers. So he just gave me a great, great show about my life, and it was songs attached. Hmm. Now the role of Caroline. I gather is quite different than the roles you've played, like in Jellies and Wild Party. They were they were more like like a siren type of a role. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, how does one how how does an actress you know you must be very versatile to be able to play a siren or a very kind of depressed person. Yeah, she's kind of dumpy. Well, at at the show, in the first scene, you're in the laundry room folding towels as the maid. Yeah, it's a beautiful white polyester gown. Yeah, just gorgeous. (laughs) A a maid's dress. I tried to get it out of chiffon or sequins or something like that. Even 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 the uh, the appliances have prettier costumes. Yes, the appliances have fabulous costumes. (laughs) But that is an interesting question because. It does take you through a range, and all of the work you've done, as you say, with George, you know, has been fairly serious work. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, in looking at your credits, you've done relatively limited, outside of, of the television work and the film work, but on stage, you've done relatively limited dramatic work. Really? Oh, yeah. that's absolutely not true. Not true? Did I did I miss? You stuff? missed my seven page curriculum day. Tell us about that. So tell us about the dramatic work then. Um, well, I did Caucasian Chalk Circle at the Public, um, which is we called that slaving in Gonav. And um, what what was that? We called it slaving in Gonav. You know that mask work, which is just incredibly difficult, just working with a mask on and mm-hmm. and and working text. Did Shakespeare in the Park. Uh, Mary Wives of Windsor, did uh, Lady Day, which is Billie Holiday story. Um, That's the the musical, or it was another piece about. Th- not the one that uh, Lady Day at Emerson's Barn. Oh, wrote. Okay. this was another piece about about her. I also have my own solo show that I've done about my life, uh, my divorce, that I did at George Street Playhouse. Um, gosh. So, I can't remember okay. my whole resume, but yeah, okay. done a lot of dramatic. You, you were you were quite uh, public and upfront on your website about your personal life. Yes, you you kind of bear all for yeah. anybody to see worldwide. I do. Um, divorced, mother of four children. Yes, can you elaborate a little well, bit? Well, you know, I found my divorce was very public. And uh, at that particular time, which was 10 years ago, I wasn't speaking about it. But it was being spoken about anyway. And it was a very painful thing. And then I realized that sometimes people can learn from from your story. And, And being afraid or ashamed was not serving me so... I decided that the the healthier choice was to be more transparent because I certainly don't have anything to hide or to be ashamed of. And people often, you know, there's some lesson in your life for somebody else. Well, as I've learned from your website, uh, you actually went to court, and it was quite a painful process. You represented yourself, and you even got the judge removed from the case. I did. This is all 
for removed child custody. from the bench in that entire part. He was removed. Mm-hmm. As, as a matrimonial judge, Completely. he was removed from the bench. Yeah. Not just from your case. That's right. Now, how did that all come about? You, you were trying to get custody of two of your children. Well, I had a lawyer at that time. Uh-huh. It was after I lost custody, and then a lot of women's organizations sort of gathered around me because, um, you know, I think we create the life we need to have to to do and be what we want to be. And at that time in my life, injustice was such a big thing for me. And so I created a huge injustice to have to battle. And that went on to me forming a women's advocacy organization called Operation Z and then going to law school and uh, having to come to, to make my own peace with what's justice and what's injustice and decide what battles I want to pick or not pick. So you talked about what you've learned and that others can learn from your experience. You have a program that you do called the Actorpreneur Attitude. Yes. And I'm wondering when that began, did that come out of these experiences? And can you tell us what that that is? Well, what I found is after my um, losing custody of my kids, which I would not wish on anyone in the world, you know, there was just this sort of downward spiral. And I became very angry, very bitter. And at a certain point, I went to uh, a therapist and I said, you've got to help me change my thinking because I'm not going anywhere. My life is not moving forward. I have two young children to raise and I need help. And I told her my story and she said, I cannot help you. She said, your problems are not in your mind. They are real world problems that require lawyers and judges and business managers and you need to go find them. And I'd already spent nine years with lawyers and judges and spending every penny I had and so I wasn't willing to go that route again and so I sought spirituality and I joined a church called Agape and it's a very inclusive church it actually didn't begin as a church but before um, Ernest Holmes died his family asked him to turn it into a church and the principle is what's called scientific prayer that as you think it that's what your world will be and in you know, surrendering to those principles and practicing them, I saw my life just begin to turn around instantaneously. And it was like, wow, this works. And so part of thinking differently is finding out how your thinking has created the mess you're in and owning the responsibility for me creating losing custody and me creating having such big legal battles and such big debt and really owning that I did create that and being willing to let go of the ways in which that was serving me because we don't do anything if it doesn't serve us in some way. So how does that become Tanya Pinkins doing seminars about how actors take this into their experience? Well, actors are the most uh, unsuccessful as a profession probably of any career on the planet. We have about a 99% failure rate that people who cannot make a living. And so I felt that that was really an audience to go to, particularly because it's my area of expertise. And so I took the things that I had been taught um, Agape being inclusive, the Dalai Lama comes there, Gary Zukov comes there, um, Mary Manon Morrissey, Ishmael Tete. So I was being taught by people from all over the globe, and I began taking those principles and formulating it into a language that would work for actors. Very experiential, neurolinguistic programming, accelerated learning techniques. I come in, I talk to you, but what I say is the talking is just to give the mind something to attach to. For the three days that I have you in the room, you do things that completely explode your map of the world and your sense of your identity. And when you leave me three days later, you're not the person you walked in the room as. As I'm sitting listening to you talking, I think of Oprah. (laughs) 
you, some That's of the things person you say, I can of. hear Oprah And you saying, just got recognized by Oprah and, for yes, some yeah, of Yeah, Oprah I has said that you'll take, you will take our breath away. Oh. And just sitting here for the last half hour or so chatting with you, I think Oprah's right about that. Thank you. You're seeing you on stage is one thing as a character, but talking to the real person is, I think, quite interesting as well. Thank you. So with... So how long have you been doing the seminars, and and how often do you do them? Well, I don't do them very often because it requires three full days of my life. Um, I did one this year in New York. I'd been doing them in Los Angeles before that. I hope to do another one in the fall, and then I keep developing more advanced versions of it. Uh, one I want to do next is called Samurai Actor, which will be a wilderness uh, adventure where I'll take actors out into the wilderness. And really, it's training hard so you can work easy. You put people in situations that are more difficult than they will face in life, and once you teach them that they can they can handle that, life is a breeze. So how do you take that back into into the practical of of performing? Is it more about the mindset that frees you up to then be the performer or the success you want to be, or there are concrete things about acting that come through this? What I found when I taught just Meisner technique, which is what I was learned, is that I, as a teacher, have an ability to look at somebody and see their potential instantly, and I can get them there very quickly. But what I found is if people didn't have a, a thinking pattern for themselves that saw themselves as that good, they couldn't reproduce it and they didn't believe it. So it became uninteresting to me to work with actors because I'm like, why are people studying for 20 years? What profession do you study for your, your whole life? I wanted people to get out and be successful quickly, and I find that this work does it because it is what you think of yourself. Um, I say, you know, if you can't receive a compliment, how are you going to receive the Oscar? If you don't feel worthy of that, and I face it every night with actors on stage who don't like curtain calls, hmm. it's uncomfortable to stand there, and particularly in Carolina Change, where the audience is not allowed to applaud for most of the show without feeling like <laughs> they've interrupted something or they're naughty, that audience needs to complete and they need to applaud, and most actors cannot just stand there and let that happen. Really? They're, they're, you don't think that's why actors got into it in the first place? I think it is why they get into it, because they crave it. But then they're afraid that they're not deserving or worthy and going to get it. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting for the listeners who have not seen the show to understand that, again, in comparison to a Hello, Dolly! or My Fair Lady, these are not songs that begin and end and then you have applause. This is a continual stream of music. So, as you're saying, there's really no chance for the audience to reward the people up on stage. Some audiences take it. We had a night last week where every time someone finished, that audience just claimed their applause, and it was wonderful. <laughs> a very aggressive audience. Yes, that day. it was yeah. wonderful. Now, how about the Wild Party? You were in the Wild Party, mm -hmm. changing the subject entirely. Because I, I want to, you know, part, part of my job here is to make sure we play some music. Absolutely. And I want to play a song. Tell us a little bit about the story of the Wild Party. Mm. The Wild Party was based on a poem, and you know, I'm not remembering the poet's name. Joseph Moncure March. That's right. It was based on a poem, and that year, actually, there were two productions, one at Manhattan Theater Club, and this one was written by Michael John Lacusa. George C. Wolfe wrote the book and also the, um, directed it. And it starred uh, Eartha Kitt, incomparable Eartha Kitt, Tony Collette, who was Oscar-nominated that year, Mandy Patinkin, and a host of other extraordinary actors. Again, not typical musical comedy fair, very dark, drug addicts, rape. Mm. Uh, but, you know, always exciting to me to push the edge of what musical comedy is. And this is Black is a Moocher, which is a song that I sang as a duet with Mandy Patinkin, who is, uh, we're both sort of seducing each other to get back at our prospective spouses or partners. Tanya Pinkins in a song from The Wild Party. 
Black as a Moocher, Tanya, on XM28 on Broadway, Downstage Center with Howard Sherman, and yours truly, John von Susten. I'm very curious about musical styles mm. that that you work in because, as we said earlier, Carolina Change... Carolina Change turns on a dime. You go from moment to moment to music, but it is all musical references. It's not... Uh, I've heard Janine say she doesn't in any way want to suggest that she doesn't like when people call it a pastiche or or a takeoff, but, but she certainly quotes a lot of musical styles. You've worked in a lot of the shows you've done. People seem to, to call on you to, to do blues-influenced numbers. Where are your influences musically? Well, who I grew up listening to, who I admire most, are Sarah Vaughan and Nancy Wilson. So, and, and then, of course, Barbara Streisand. So those were the people I sang along with as I was growing up. And in the shows that you do, do you think you've gotten to show your full range in in the actual Broadway shows? I assume in your personal act, you go much more broadly in the, in the kind of material you do. Well, Jelly's Last Jam was a sort of limited area because it was uh, sort of just simple jazz blues. Then Play On, I got to do a lot. Um, there was some, you know, I got to use my soprano and I got to use the very low. And so that was a great show for me also because the incomparable Luther Henderson um, orchestrated around me. I would go away and I would prepare these songs as monologues and I'd come in and do it as I felt it should be acted and then he would orchestrate to that, which was an amazing gift. And then Caroline really is everything. I mean, it starts with Delta Blues, it's got field holler, it's got classical singing, it's got, you know, hard gospel singing. I'm basically screaming like Tina Turner at some points <laughs> in it. Um, so, yeah, she's used it all up and required me to get some extra. <laughs> now, How- Howard made reference before about the appliances having better costumes. It should be pointed out that the appliances are actually people. Yes, very on, anthropomorphic. Yeah, piece. On, on the stage you see the washing machine with a person above it as the washing machine That's in a right. costume or the the dryer or whatever it is. The radio, the, yes. the radio is great. They have kind of like like the Supremes. Yes. <laughs> Were you worried that people would think that I just had a psychic break talking about the appliances? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a very imaginative uh, staging of the show. Because you wonder how can you stay in a laundry room, or I guess the the dining living room of the of the house as well. Well, it's the creativity of Tony saying, "How do you tell the story of a character who spends most of her day alone?" Right. And you tell it through the objects that that she has contact with, because there's a relationship with those objects, and so those objects become both the villains and they become her alter ego and subconscious. And she basically talks to the appliances and they talk to her. Yes. <laughs> in, the, in the dialogue. They advise the her. We should also talk about the title, Caroline or Change, on two different levels. On the very elemental level, obviously, this young Jewish boy and the black maid have befriended one another, and there's a constant theme throughout the show of him leaving change in his pockets, nickels and dimes and quarters and pennies, and, and the mother taking the change away and all that. The other aspect is the change in society in general the Kennedy assassination, what that has done to society, and change, if any, that Caroline is willing to make herself. And also the change in the roles people play. We have a northern woman coming down to the south trying to bring in, in bringing her rules and her father coming down. And we have the change in Dottie Moffat, her friend, who's now a maid but going to night school college and, and not dressing the way maids dressed. And then he's also got the change in the moon because the moon changes all the time and the moon is a very big character in this play. And then the change that happens in the household over the course of the play. There's so many themes running through this show and so many different styles. 
Where do you think your character ends up? Has your character changed, or is your character watching change around her by the end of the show? Because although John said, commented that that Caroline and the boy are friends, in fact they're not. She or she doesn't want to let herself be his friend. Where where do you where do you think Caroline's journey has taken her through this show? I think the beauty of the play is Tony doesn't answer that for you, and it's left for you to decide. And I think that that's what wrecks people, is, as I would say most in the play, is he doesn't give it an answer so you can go home and feel like, oh, that was solved. And so that the same restless tension about what's going to happen next that's left in Caroline, the audience leaves with. Now, has Caroline or change brought any change to Tanya Pinkins? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Life is good. <laughs> well, that I get to go sure. to parties and borrow Harry Winston diamonds. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, they'll let me take out a half a million dollars worth of diamonds by myself. Woo. <laughs> How about in terms of your, of your outlook on life oh. in general and the problems you've been through? Well, any change in your life? You know, I always say life comes full circle, and if you don't get it the first time, it's going to come back, and it's going to be a tougher lesson. (laughs) And so 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I was on Broadway. I was doing Jelly's Last Jam and also doing All My Children. I'm here again. I'm on All My Children. I'm doing Carolina Change. But instead of being in a wonderful supporting role, I'm in a role that is on stage almost the entire evening. And the universe is requiring that I meet the, the, the demands of that. And I'm happy to say that I am, unlike Caroline, who really struggles hard with, you know, meeting the demands of her life. Play On, another musical that you were in. Tell us a little bit about that, and then we're going to play a song from that. Fabulous. Duke Ellington music set to Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, directed by Sheldon Epps with an extraordinary company, Andre de Shields, Larry Marshall, Carl Anderson, Yvette Casson, Cheryl Freeman, um, show-stopping number after show-stopping number. The Duke uh, Orsino became Duke Ellington, and I played Lady Liv, who was his muse. And this is a song after the man that she loves, who really is a woman, of course, if you know Twelfth Night, has scorned her. Nothing but the blues. Tanya Pinkins in a song from Play On, Nothing But the Blues, at XM28 on Broadway. Tanya, our last segment, we were talking about how life has come full circle and here you are on top again in a Broadway show. But you recently were among the performers who appeared at uh, a benefit performance called Fired, telling people, as people told stories of being fired. What's your story of being fired? Well, you know, I have to tell you that after doing that benefit performance, I don't tell that story anymore. But what I will tell you about doing it was it was Jelly Slash Jam. I was fired a lot of times. And what I got I have to tell you, when I did that performance uh, of Fired, telling that story, it was like this whole burden was lifted from me, and my life just opened up. And literally that very week, Caroline announced going to Broadway. I was offered the contract on the soap, and I was offered a book deal at Hyperion. And so for me, the transformative healing power of that night was that all these actors got to go and take their dirty secrets and just throw them in the river and let them go forever and make space for wonderful things to come in their life. Well, then you lead, obviously, to the next question, a book deal? Yes. Tell us what that's going to be. Hyperion asked me to take the actorpreneur attitude principles and uh, expand them for the business person. Huh. 
So that's what I'm doing. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you have the movie coming out this fall. Yes. Will you be doing a tour for that? Hopefully. I'll be doing a tour for the book. I don't know if I'll be doing a tour for the movie. You know, okay. I think they might pick Susan Sarandon first. <laughs> <laughs> you have a birthday coming up at the end of this I month. Do. Wouldn't it be lovely a week later to get that Tony? Yeah, in 92, <laughs> it was like the next day, my birthday, and then the Tonys were the next day. So, what a yeah, that would great be a nice birthday present. Birthday that present. It would be. Yeah. You wouldn't mind getting the same thing you got a few years no, ago. No, not you, at you all. You wouldn't say, I already got one of those. No. Need it. <laughs> I need it. I need it. <laughs> well, Tanya Pinkin, star of Caroline or Change, thank you so much for thank joining you. us today. And best of luck at the Tonys and wearing those Harry Winston jewels. Mm. That'll be great. Yes. Yeah. I'm Howard Sherman from the American Theater Wing. And I'm John Von Susten at XM28 on Broadway for Downstage Center. Thank you. Thank you.